Hey, South Bend City Church, Mariah here, the Director of Art and Worship. We are so thankful that you chose to join us today, and we are so grateful, whether you're local or long distance, that you call South Bend City Church home. And we're glad to be back with you after a week off due to some very, very, very cold winter weather here in South Bend, and we are so glad to be back with you here on the podcast. This week, we actually kicked off a new series called See the City. As we prepare to move into the Tribune and pursue our vision of creating a place for the people, we've curated four weeks of conversation with local leaders and experts about different needs and experiences that shape the people of our city. And this week, we kicked off by learning from Carl Hetler, the director of homelessness for the city of South Bend. Carl had some amazing resources that he shared with us, and you can find all of those at the link in the show notes below. We'll hear that conversation between Carl and Beth Graybill in a bit, but before we get to that, one reminder from me and then some updates from Jason. If you live in or around South Bend, we've got our new to South Bend City Church table coming up on February 4th after our second gathering. This is for anyone who feels new to our community to ask questions, get to know some others who consider themselves to be new, and to interact with the staff, ask them questions, and get to know our stories a bit better. If you want to be a part of this, we need you to RSVP because there will be lunch provided. Just know that if you've got kiddos, they're welcome to join us, but there will not be any child care available for that time. So once again, that's February 4th, right after our second gathering. So right around 1215 or so. We would love to see you there. All right. With a commitment towards transparency with finances, we do a quarterly financial report or update for you. And so this weekend, Jason led us through that, both in general fund giving, a quick Tribune giving update, and some other fun numbers for us this morning. So let's join in with him as he presents that update to us, and then he'll intro us directly into the conversation between Beth and Carl. Thanks again for joining us. Let's jump in with the rest of our community now. Uh, the other stuff I want to tell you about today... Uh, is some church finance stuff. Are we excited? You guys are so sweet. Um, uh, We want to celebrate and say thank you, first of all. Our Christmas offering has wrapped up. Uh, It's been our tradition from the beginning of our life as a church uh, to do some extra generosity during the Christmas season as a way of uh, honoring God's generosity to us. Uh, This year's Christmas offering, hopefully you know this already, but it'll go to support uh, next year's Advent practice here at South and City Church with a book. It'll also go to support our partners at La Casa de Amistad here in South Bend. Their legal immigration aid fund will be able to support legal work that's happening on behalf of people who are in the immigration process. Uh, In the world at large, it goes in two directions. Uh, One is to Belfast, Northern Ireland, and our sister church there, Redeemer. Uh, It helps them uh, shore up some facilities challenges with the work that they're doing in the heart of Belfast. Belfast. And then lastly, our partners at the Telos Group. Uh, the Telos is a, like a preeminent on the ground uh, organization that's working both in Israel, Palestine, and here in the United States uh, in the really hard work of peace and conflict education. And so our money goes directly to Telos and to some of the partners that they support on the ground over there. And I'm really pleased to let you know uh, that with all that you've given, we're celebrating today that $36,000 has been given to the Christmas offering. Yeah, that's really great. Thank you. Uh, And we're just getting started on the money stuff. Uh, Once a quarter, it's our commitment to you to offer you a financial update. Uh, This is just us trying to be transparent with you about how that's going. Um, We've never been accused of talking too much about money at South End City Church uh, because we know that there's a lot of baggage for a lot of people around churches and money. And we also want to be as explicitly clear as possible that people with more money don't matter more around here and that our journey and our work is much bigger than dollars and cents. But it's part of our life together. At a practical level, uh, it makes possible what we do. 
And at the level of the heart, for many of us, this is one of the important ways that we're able to contribute. And so we want to report back to you how we're doing and what we're doing with your money. And so uh, this is a quarterly financial update. Um, we do our fiscal year from July 1st to the end of June. And so that means that I'm reporting back to you on the first half of our fiscal year that ended December 31st. Make sense? Cool. All right. Uh, here's some basic numbers for you. Uh, during that period, the first half of our budget year, uh, the general fund giving was $340,000, which always blows my mind. I'm, like a dollar given blows my mind and I'm grateful. Uh, during that same period, if, if you take our annual budget and you just cut it in half, uh, we would budget for $362,000. So there is a bit of a deficit there, meaning we've given a little bit less than we budgeted and planned to spend. Uh, however, the really great news is that our team has been really frugal and works really hard at this. We've only spent during that period of time $307,000 in the general fund. So uh, a little bit of bad news, which is that we're not giving quite at the level of our budget. Uh, the good news is that we're living within the means that we're provided uh, with all your giving. Uh, so thanks for what you do give, and I want you to know that we're committed to like, living within our means wherever those dollars hit. Uh, one other thing that we want to celebrate is that um, we don't just give to the general fund around here. Uh, there's a lot of other giving that happens, whether it's uh, you giving to SBCC so that we can give to other organizations in South Bend, or maybe you give to the CARE Fund, and we meet a lot of needs with that CARE Fund right here in the South Bend City Church family. We cover rent or medical crises or other sort of momentary situations that could be helped with money. And then also the Tribune Project, which is uh, the big thing that's happening right now financially with us uh, purchasing and renovating our future home downtown. Uh, in the last six months, altogether, the people of South Bend City Church have given $544,000, which is really incredible, and we're very grateful. Uh, let's talk about the Tribune Project for a minute. Uh, reminder that we are wrapping up a two-year giving period. Uh, it was April, uh, like a year and a half ago, or a little more than a year and a half ago, when we all rallied and said, here's what we are going to individually give to contribute to that project. And the way that we're doing the Tribune project is to combine that upfront giving over two years with the mortgage on the building. And that's how we bought the building and paid for the renovations. Uh, uh, next slide. When we uh, first um, gathered up those commitments back in April, uh, a little over a year and a half ago, uh, and then some additional commitments since then, we come up with about $1.88 million of cash giving from this community. And so far, uh, 1.63 million has been given toward that goal, which again is amazing and we're really grateful. Uh, the last time we showed you those numbers, uh, since then, um, I'm doing on the stage math, which is not good. Uh, I think something like $80,000, $85,000 has come in additionally toward that Tribune goal and we're really thankful. Uh, I do want to draw your attention uh, to that gap. Um, this is kind of going on schedule the way it should, so that's good. Uh, but getting to the finish line uh, really matters. You know, we made real decisions about what we could afford to do and what we committed to with the contractor and the architect based on the commitments of this community. Um, it's very normal that over the course of two years, uh, things change for people. And so maybe somebody made a commitment uh, at the beginning of this project and you're unable to fulfill that because of a change in your circumstance or um, a change in job or financial means. We totally get that. Uh, other people have just quite literally moved on. Maybe they've moved away, they're no longer a part of this community. And maybe because of that, they're no longer giving to the project. And then other people, none of, nobody in this room, nobody here, of course, but other people who attend the 9 a.m., some of them just flaked out and just stopped giving to the project and didn't come through. 
Um, and so what I, the reason I, I tell you that is uh, maybe you didn't make a commitment, uh, but maybe you're in a position where you would be able to give to the project. That makes a huge difference. Uh, you might be able to make up for somebody else's gap. And that's how we do this together, because we're in it together, right? Um, so it's not too late to give to the project. I also, a couple of other notes about that. One is um, I've just discovered in conversations with some members of our community um, who maybe are wrestling with the fact that the original commitment they made, they're not gonna be able to hit. And what I've discovered, and this is just like human psychology, and I've struggled with this too, is sometimes when we can't do everything, we don't do anything. And I would just say, like, um, if you can, like, throw that idea out the, out the window, right? Um, anything's better than nothing. And I think some of us, we just, uh, we kind of like feeling defeated by the fact that we're not gonna hit the original goal that we had for ourselves. But I would just say, um, uh, if you do what you can, that's what makes a difference, right? Um, and then one other note, which is uh, this giving period technically ends in April. That was that two-year commitment. Um, but you can, you can keep giving to the Tribune after April. We will still take your money after April, believe it or not. And so um, if you still want to hit your goal, uh, but it might take a little bit longer, we certainly welcome you to do that on your timeline, and we'll be grateful for that. Uh, one other way of talking about uh, the money around here, because I really mean it when I say that like, more money doesn't mean you matter more, is we also just love to celebrate, um, without the dollars and cents, the participation of this community. And so it's, I think it's helpful to see that in the past six months, uh, we've had a total of 259 individuals and families who've given to South and City Church. And that's amazing. Um, as a point of context, on a normal Sunday around here, I think with kids and adults, we have something like 300, 350 people who attend. And so to see 259 individuals and families who've given in the last six months, it's really phenomenal. And whether those gifts seem small on paper or big on paper, the heart behind that really matters, and we're grateful for every one of you. Uh, general fund donors in that same period, 198, and then 42 individuals and families who've given for the first time in the last six months, and that's also really promising as we keep doing our work together. Uh, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, financial generosity is not the only way of contributing here. Volunteering is a huge gift. And even just showing up today with your heart and your spirit is a contribution to this community. So I hope that in talking about the money, we don't give the impression that um, those who aren't able to or don't, like, don't matter around here. Everybody matters. But this is part of how we do what we do. And so we're very grateful to all of you who help us do it. Uh, as always, uh, if you'd like to uh, make a gift today, you can go to southandcitychurch.com slash give. Uh, you can get to General Fund. You can get to the Tribune Project, the CARE Fund there. You can also uh, drop a gift in the boxes by the door on your way out. Sound good? That's all the money talk. Good? Amen? Thank you, Lord. Good. Uh, let's turn to the matter at hand today. Uh, today we're beginning a series of conversations. Uh, we're very excited about this. But let me uh, sort of frame and give context uh, to where we're going. Uh, and to begin, I want to uh, turn toward a moment in Scripture that we've talked about before. Uh, there's a story that Jesus tells uh, in response to a question that he gets. And it's a story that's really well known and talked about quite frequently. And we've talked about it a lot too. And one of the reasons that we turn toward it so often is that it's a, a moment of, of incredible clarity for Jesus and for us about what matters most. And in the modern world, with all of its complexities, and in the modern religious landscape with all of its complications, it's really nice to just have this clarity from Jesus. He's asked in different ways, depending on which text you read, like, what's most important? How do I inherit eternal life? Like, what's the most important thing in the law? What, what matters most to God about how I relate to God and to other people? And in response to that, Jesus says, it's really quite simple, love God and love your neighbor. But when one of the tellings of this story, one of the people interacting with Jesus, he wants to complicate the question a little bit. And he asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? 
which like strikes me as the most human thing in the world and we all do it, right? We're all like, kind of asking like, how can we sift and sort the world into those who are worthy of our love and those who are not? Those who like are worthy of our attention and those who we can dismiss or write off or look away from. And like we're really good at dividing the world between the insiders and the outsiders and those who are worthy and those who are not. And these lines get drawn along uh, places of race and economics and culture and religion and politics. But Jesus won't have it. And so he tells a story in response to this to disrupt the whole thing. And in the story, he creates a character that you've all heard of uh, named the Good Samaritan. But I want to observe some other characters in the story too. Now the setup for the story is that there's a man on the road to Jericho and he's beaten and attacked by robbers and they leave him naked and half dead. And then after finding out about the plight of this person who's suffering in the story, we read about three different characters who all pass by and have different reactions to the plight of the man there on the side of the road. And there's just a little nuance in the text, a sort of repetition that describes each of the characters' response to the man by the side of the road. And I want to draw your attention to this. So this is Luke chapter 10 in the middle of the story that Jesus tells. A priest happened to be going down the same road And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. At one level, it's kind of simple, but it strikes me as pretty profound that like these three different characters, the text says that every one of them saw the man but it seems pretty clear based on their action that they saw different things, right? I mean, the Samaritan has a way of seeing the man that draws him toward the man in compassion and solidarity, right? Like somehow the Samaritan feels like implicated in this man's situation. Like I wanna do something about this. The other two, they, they walk by and it says they see the man, but I've wondered over and over again like what they saw when they saw the man because you and I have this way of looking at one another or looking at neighbors or looking at enemies or looking at others and seeing different kinds of things, right? I've wondered, like, at a basic level, do they see an inconvenience? They got stuff to do and places to be and an ETA to hit, right? So they're on their way. And maybe they simply see an inconvenience, which to me says they didn't really see the man at all, right? Like, they didn't see his humanity. They didn't see what they shared in common with the man. They didn't see a bearer of the image of God so that to honor this man would be to honor God, or in their case, to walk by the man is to dismiss God or ignore God, right? Maybe they didn't see an inconvenience. Maybe they saw a threat. Uh, This road, we actually know historically, was a dangerous road. And so the scenario that Jesus creates with bandits that attack this guy, this would be like a known thing that happens for these people. And if you're walking a dangerous road and you see somebody who's recently been attacked by bandits, that's as good as a sign that says danger nearby, right? So maybe they saw a threat. Maybe they felt most of all that their own safety was in jeopardy. And so rather than seeing this other person's uh, jeopardy, they, they only felt their own, and that's why they keep moving along the way, right? And then there's the Samaritan who actually sees the man, sees him for his humanity, sees him for his worth, sees him for, as the kind of person that he ought to love, even though the Samaritan and this man might come from wildly different backgrounds or experiences. And that's right there in the heart of Jesus saying, this is what's most important about how you are to be with God and one another in the world. This is how you inherit eternal life, Jesus says. to to relate to one another in a a way of seeing one another and honoring the needs that one another have in the world. I'll tell you all that uh, to set up the conversations that we're going to have over the next few weeks. And the reason we're having these conversations is that um, as we prepare to move downtown and take up residence in a fairly prominent facade in the heart of our city, we've had a vision for that building. 
We've said from the beginning of the Tribune Project that we want that to be a place for the people. And that, of course, has affected uh, the way we approach it. And so for that to be a place for the people, I mean, that affects like literal physical design for the building. It means that we want to make sure that the building is accessible for people, that it's safe and comforting for people. We want people to walk in and feel like that's a place where they can be, right? It's also affected our conversations around community partnerships, us doing everything we can to find the right fit so that during the week that place meets real needs on behalf of our community here in South Bend. But I just want to say today and over the next few weeks that we can do good building design and forge great community partnerships. But I, I think like the living heartbeat of that vision, that the Tribune would be a place for the people, it really rests on whether uh, we're a people for the people. Right? Like whether we are becoming the kind of community that sees our neighbors well, that like sees the members of the city of South Bend with love through that lens that the Good Samaritan brings on the road, not just others as inconvenience, not just others as threat, but other people as sacred bearers of the image of God who are worthy of our solidarity, of our love, of our honor. And so we thought that we would curate some conversations for four weeks that help us see our city just a little bit better. Um, this is a journey that's always been with us. This hopefully doesn't feel entirely new for us. But we thought we want to be the kind of church that would take like a four-week stretch and just become students of our own city and the different experiences that shape people in our city, especially when those experiences make people more vulnerable here in South Bend. Uh, so over the next few weeks, you're going to hear uh, from Juan at La Casa de Amistad, who runs that effort there uh, with immigration experience. You're going to hear from Willow and DTSB Incorporated, like the downtown ecosystem and business development. You're going to hear from Jacqueline at the Boys and Girls Club and the work that they're doing for families here in South Bend. But today, to kick things off, uh, very excited, uh, you're going to hear from Carl Hetler. Uh, Carl currently oversees issues related to homelessness on behalf of the city of South Bend. Uh, before that, Carl has a long history that you're going to hear more about as a pastor himself here in South Bend and elsewhere. Uh, Carl actually happens to call South Bend City Church his home. And recently, our staff uh, took a walking tour with Carl through our city so that we could just better understand the landscape of those who are living without housing here and what it is to interact in a thoughtful and loving way like both with people who are going through that, whether you're a part of South and City Church or you're not, and um, with the larger sort of systems and structures that are a part of that. And so Carl's gonna do a little educating for us today so that we can see our neighbors well. And uh, here to host that conversation with us is another trusted voice and beloved member of the South and City Church family. So will you please welcome both Carl Hetler and Beth Grable to the stage. Thank you. Thanks, Jay. It's great to be with you all this morning, and we're really excited that Carl is here with us, not only this morning so we can learn from his experiences and his expertise, but that he's um, a regular, consistent part of our community here at South Bend City Church. I say that because you will probably have a lot of questions for Carl after this conversation. This is one of those conversations that could easily be two or three hours, and we've got about 30, 35 minutes here. Um, and so we're just mindful of time, but also mindful of um, continuing this conversation here in our community. Um, so one of the things I love about Carl is um, you'll definitely be able to hear his pastoral background, his heart for this city, um, the good and hard work he's doing here. Um, but he also sometimes has some fun surprises. And this morning was one of those. I glanced over at the 9 a.m. and noticed a flash of yellow. And if you are a person of distraction, you may have noticed Carl's flash of yellow as well. He has um, socks on this morning that are the South Bend City flag. Um, Got to represent. That's right. <laughs> and so I thought I'd just call it out because some of you might be like distracted by the fun socks and, and wondering what they are. And so they're the, the city flag. 
Um, Carl, thank you so much for being here. Why don't you just tell us, let's start with telling us a little bit about who you are and how you got here, not only to South Bend, but to South Bend City Church and in your current role. Yeah, I've been here now 13 years, but I grew up in Berkeley, California. And uh, all right, we've got some uh, fellow uh, Cal friends here. Uh, so I'm going to show you a photo of the church I grew up in. Uh, this is the Presbyterian Church in Berkeley. And if you're familiar with uh, U.S. history, you know back in the 60s, Berkeley is one of the towns that saw lots of uh, riots and protests during the Civil Rights era. And these glass walls were often broken. And the church at the time made a conscious decision that they would keep the glass walls and not brick them over because they wanted the community to see them as they worshipped. But maybe even more importantly, they wanted to be able to see the community outside and the challenges and needs in their community. And I was raised in my faith formation in this congregation uh, and informed with this idea that we should be vulnerable and transparent in who we are and our, our own issues, but we also need to uh, see what God is doing around us and see the needs around us also. And so this church really formed my faith and uh, gave me opportunities to begin caring for people in situations like a soup kitchen and doing different outreach programs. But one of the reasons why I share this this morning is that as we get ready to move into the Tribune building, it excites me that we have put in big windows uh, in that, that brick walls there so that we can not only be seen as we gather to worship, but we can also see the needs of the community around us and see the other resources that we're going to talk about today, the different things that are already happening around downtown that we get to be a part of and can support and collaborate with. Carl, before you um, keep going on, I one quick caveat is as the homelessness coordinator for the city of South Bend, Carl sees a lot and hears a lot. And so today we are going to dive into some topics of um, addiction, abuse, um, those sorts of things. And so just a heads up that we thought uh, a warning would be helpful that we're going there in conversation. So, yeah. Absolutely. And so coming here now to South Bend 13 years ago, I've served a number of churches. The most recent one was Broadway Christian Parish. Uh, recently highlighted in the news as they uh, see increased need in our community for people in need of food and need of shelter. And that was a place where I got to not only help lead the ministries, but really hear the stories of people that we were helping, who were on the street, who were staying in shelters, who were housed, but still struggling to make ends meet. And that was a place that really formed me here in South Bend to see about how important it is to do ministry together in community, to really work alongside people who were facing different challenges, to learn from them, and to find ways to collaborate together. And to have a number of different partners that we worked with, not only religious organizations, but other nonprofits and social service agencies, to be able to collaborate and, and work together. And that's moved me now into this, this role of working for the city. But I'll tell you, it was discouraging uh, starting here at, at Broadway because it just felt like we were feeding people, uh, we were clothing them, but then they were just still stuck in this cycle of not having a place to go. And if you've been here in South Bend for a couple of years, you may have heard of Motels for Now, a high-access shelter that we opened during the pandemic uh, that really transformed the work that I did and for a lot of people gave them hope to have more opportunities to get people in the shelter, to get them support, case management, a safe place to be. And it's really transformed uh, the work that I did to see there was a purpose um, to the basic care that we were providing people. Yeah, tell us a little bit about just like staff um, at Broadway Christian Parish. Like how many people were partnering with you um, as you were serving our community? Yeah, it's a small church. only worshiped about 30 people uh, on a Sunday. And I had five part-time staff who ran a lot of the ministries Monday through Thursday. But we depended then on a lot of volunteers and interns who would come in to help with that. But even more so the guests 
that we wanted to create opportunities for people to really be in community and collaborate together. And so whether that was taking out the trash, wiping down tables, helping serve food, or running the showers or laundry, we were trying to create a community where everyone was a part, where it didn't matter what needs you came with, uh, we all could provide something, we could all help each other out and create that community of care. Yeah, just a, another note for this morning, you know, as we talk about um, the homeless community, the unhoused community, um, this is very much a we conversation, not an us and them conversation, because we recognize that many of us um, have been unhoused, um, maybe are currently um, seeking a place to live. And so um, this, is, this is meant to wrap our arms around one another and around our city as a whole. Um, and Carl, we have learned a lot from you in doing that as well. Um, Tell us a little bit about what gives you purpose and passion in the work that you do, because I mean, this was a purpose and passion long before you were the homelessness coordinator for the city of South Bend. Yeah, I'd like to say it started with compassion, but honestly, it's some of it was just guilt with the, the lifestyle that I grew up in and wanted to be able to share with others who I recognized were easily in need and easily visible on the streets of Berkeley. But one of the important things for me, and this tells you how old I am, is I used to carry around the $1 McDonald's paper coupons um, to give to people who were in need and to invite someone to have a meal with me and have a, a conversation where I could listen and learn uh, to about what the issues were someone was facing and what their needs were and, and what they were, they're dealing with. And I think that's an important place to start. Yeah, I was just going to interject uh, those McDollar or McDonald dollar coupons. You could buy like a booklet, right, for like $25 or $50 or $10 or whatever. And then you could rip them off and then they counted as cash um, at McDonald's. Now it's just an app. Right, now it's just an app. So we think about the different uh, reasons. And a, a question I have for us, because sometimes we like to do a little uh, audience feedback, is what are some different reasons that you may be aware of or you've heard from people uh, for why someone might lose their housing? Raise your hand if you can think of an example, and I'll repeat it for everyone. What's the reason why someone might lose their housing? Loss of employment. Loss of employment. Addiction. Losing your money. One more? Rent goes up. Yeah, so we heard a lot of uh, economic. Oh, one more? Divorce. Uh, a lot of examples, we can categorize them in, in three areas. Uh, one is, is the personal. Um, if you're dealing with addiction or maybe a mental health crisis, uh, there's personal reasons that we may face that cause someone to, to lose their housing. Uh, there's the relational uh, divorce example that we talked about, uh, that what happens in a relationship may cause a, a loss of housing. But then we heard a lot of economic examples also, and those have definitely increased in the past year that whether it's a loss of a job or medical bills, uh, those things can also cause us to lose our housing. And it's really varied then when we think about all the different reasons. And so that helps us to think about, we can't just categorize everyone in, in one lump group, but there's lots of different reasons someone may be in need of housing, be in need of support services. And so that helps us to have compassion on them when we understand all the different reasons. But then also as we make that list, as you heard some things and maybe thought of others, Maybe you can identify with some of them or people you know, because the reality is any one of those things could happen to us. We could have a, a personal issue. We've all been through this pandemic that's challenged all of our mental health with the anxiety and concern and isolation that we've been through. Any one of us could have a relationship problem that could cause us to lose our housing. And economics could happen to any one of us also. And so we all makes us realize that we need to create a community and network that cares for one another, not just for those people or them, 
but for us. Any one of us could face these challenges. Any one of us could end up unhoused. And so as the city of South Bend, we want to create a community, a connection that really cares for each other because we all may face times when we're in need and could be vulnerable in need of help. Yeah, along those same lines, I've heard you also talk about, you know, a lot of us um, statistically are struggling with some sort of addiction. And, and it's when we're unhoused, it's amplified. And yet when we're behind the safety and security of our own um, four walls, whatever those look like, um, it's not as amplified, right? Um, I think, um, me included, sometimes some of us are hesitant to lean into this conversation because we don't want to misstep. We don't want to say the wrong thing, use the wrong words. Even now, you and I are using the terms homeless, homelessness, unhoused interchangeably. Can you help us out? Like, what are the most appropriate, what are the most dignified ways to, to talk about this, um, this situation? Right, it can be tricky. I mean, my title for the city is Homelessness Coordinator, but often we try to use the idea of someone being unhoused or a person in need of housing to give more dignity and respect to the individual. And I even like to think about what it is that makes housing so valuable that hopefully you experience or that you long for. We want people to have safe stable, secure housing. Those are the qualities of housing that make it important more than just a building to reside in. But really even more than that, as we talk about the different issues and challenges people may face, it really doesn't matter what your housing status is because of substance abuse, because of mental health challenges, because of economics. Any one of us may need in different areas. It doesn't matter where we live, where we reside, where we lay our, our head at night. So I hope in this conversation, as we talk about some of the, the attitudes and attributes we want to have, that we'll develop a compassion and empathy, regardless of what people's status is, because we simply care for one another. And, and like the, the Good Samaritan, we want to truly see people for who they are and see their need and how we have opportunities to help them. Yeah, and one thing I've learned from you, Carl, even in just our short exchanges, have been um, just to pay attention to like what kind of terminology is being used in the room. Is it homelessness? Is it unhoused? Um, and, but don't shy away from those conversations from leaning in, right? Go ahead. And there's lots of scripture that gives us guidance yeah. on how we uh, treat people, regardless of what terminology you use. Uh, another verse that goes along with the story of the Good Samaritan that Jay shared is from the book of Romans that we're working our way through at different points. This is from Romans chapter 12, uh, when the apostle Paul tells us, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And that's a beautiful picture of what it looks like to put that kind of love of the Good Samaritan into practice, to, to cling to doing what is good when we're so easily buffeted by different challenges and anxieties and worries, to hold on to thinking about what is good and to cling to that. And to really think about how we can put others above ourselves. How can we honor other people who are in need? That's the challenge that we have and that we're seeking to do with people who need resources, especially as it relates to housing. Yeah, so Carl, not only do you bring a pastoral perspective to the work that you do, but you are trauma-informed. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what it means to be trauma-informed and how that um, shapes the way you show up with the people you interact with on a daily basis? I've been a part of some cohorts that Beacon Health Systems and Notre Dame put on to help people uh, become more trauma-informed. And it starts with being trauma-aware is sort of the first status. And one of the helpful tools to help us be aware of the reality of trauma that all of us may experience is uh, the adverse childhood experiences, known as ACEs. We've got a slide here that gives you a summary of some of the challenges uh, that people face in their childhood. Uh, thinking about what losses did you experience as a child? What threats 
can you remember from your growing up? What pains do you still carry from your childhood? Every one of us probably has at least two or three of these that we have experienced that impact us still today in our life. Those are our adverse childhood experiences. But statistics have shown, and someone at the, the first service told me who works at Hope uh, Ministries, one of the residential shelters, is that their residents have an average of 6.5 of these different traumas that they're dealing with. Which means odds are stacked greatly against someone with a 6.5 ACEs. And an ACEs score is 0 to 10, correct? Yeah. And so just realizing that the people that we may wonder, why don't they just get a job? Why don't they just improve their life? We have compassion when we look at ACEs and understand the trauma and hardship that someone has been through that has created the challenge, has created maybe some of the dysfunctions, some of the coping strategies that aren't helpful. It gives us compassion and understanding to realize the difficulties that someone has been through. It helps us to have compassion as opposed to just judging others. Yeah, Carl, if I could just interject. I think for me, what ACES has done, I learned about ACES a while ago doing some training. And, you know, now when I run into someone um, on the street who maybe is causing a scene, instead of thinking like, man, I wish they could get it together, you know, we think like, uh, man, what's happened here um, to get to this place, right? And ACES just gives us a lot of empathy and understanding and compassion, understanding adverse childhood experiences. For those of you who have been in South Bend, maybe you've recognized a, a woman um, with l light blonde hair, uh, sometimes walking down the middle of the street, cursing and giving people the middle finger. And you've wondered, what's her deal? Why is she doing that? How rude? Is she going to attack me? Well, the reality is, if you get to know her story, is that she's been attacked and abused multiple times. And that's her defense mechanism. That's how she tries to scare off any future abusers or attackers is by those verbal threats. But she's never, in the years that I've known her, ever physically harmed someone. It's all just her defense coping mechanism. And so understanding that, how ACEs impact someone's behavior that seems so antisocial, that seems so threatening, but really to have compassion and understanding for the hardships that someone's been through and how isolating it must be for them to now live life in that mode to protect themselves. Yeah, absolutely. There are some specific ways you are helping to connect people in our community and care for people. Can you tell us about some of those specific ways? There's a guy out of uh, Chicago called Ryan Dowd. He's worked at a homeless shelter there, and he now runs a curriculum called the Homeless Librarian. And my church, Broadway, and then other locations have all uh, done these trainings to help us learn how to better not only practice these skills, but teach them to our staff and volunteers. And so I've got one example here about respect and sadness that Ryan talks about when we have to tell someone no. Uh, when we have to have boundaries and limits, when we can't do what someone's asking us for, when we're having to ask someone to leave, that we can still show them respect. We can treat them, uh, as we would say um, from a faith-based perspective, as having the image of God and worthy of respect, that we still want to listen to someone, to what their need is, to what their complaint is, to what their hardship is, even if we have to tell them no. And that when we have to tell them no, we can do that with sadness, we can lower our tone of voice to show in our, our cultural setting that we aren't happy about this decision we're having to make, but we have compassion and care for them, and we recognize the difficulty that they're going through. And so we do these trainings not only uh, in our different agencies that work with people who are in need of, of services, but with residents, with businesses. I was recently with uh, the Venue Parks and Arts. Uh, training their staff because at their Howard Park and O'Brien Center locations, they often have people coming in who need a place to warm up, who need a place to use the bathroom or, or charge their electronics. 
and so helping their staff be welcoming so that across our city, people feel welcomed, they feel seen and heard, even in the difficulties and challenges that they're facing. I think this is really important for us to understand as a community because sometimes we think, well, I'm not trauma-informed or I'm not quite sure what it means to be trauma-aware. And yet I think all of us can express respect and sadness um, and respond in a way that you're talking about. Say we're walking in downtown South Bend, someone comes up and asks us for money. Um, we legit don't have any or because of the circumstances are about to say no. And yet we can still say no with respect and sadness, right? I think about some of the people that I know that because of the hardships they've been through turn to alcohol, for example, to dull the pain, to forget the challenges and the hardships that they're facing. And when I'm walking in the East Race, it may be inconvenient for me to see someone laying in the sidewalk, but if I have compassion to make sure that they're doing okay, to see if they need help sitting up, to see if they need to know about what resources are available, I can show compassion in how I interact with someone, even if there's a, a minor inconvenience like the Good Samaritan faced, to still see someone and to check on them and see how they're doing. Carl, tell us about the resources available downtown um, for, um, for someone who's unhoused or finds themselves on the brink of that, of that um, circumstance. There's another verse in Romans chapter 12 that really uh, motivates me to, to want to share with you all the, the great things and some of the hardships that we're facing here in South Bend. Uh, Paul goes on later in Romans 12 to say, uh, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. And that's a, the, the, the dual sli slide of what I want to cover today, is being able to rejoice in all the great things that are happening. We have a resource map uh, that we've shared, and it goes out to lots of businesses and residents that highlights uh, all the variety of locations around downtown South Bend that provide services. And you may be familiar with some of these, um, and others you may not know about, but this is a collection of places that provide meals uh, throughout the day and throughout the week, that provide food, uh, and clothing to people who are in need that provide warm spaces in this winter months where people can go and also provide different levels of shelter also throughout our community. And I made this up about two years ago at Broadway because we saw so many new people who were struggling for the first time who needed to know what resources were available. And so I rejoice with all the great things that are here on this map. Yeah, and this might, might be a little hard to read from where you're sitting, but we will share all of the resources that Carl shared, um, both in the collective and then in the show notes for the podcast. For those of you who um, want to re-listen to this conversation or for those of you who are joining us online. So. so just to highlight a couple of these things that we're rejoicing in as a city, uh, down at Center for the Homeless on South Michigan Street is where we have a weather amnesty. And here's a photo of their executive director. Uh, highlighting the, the bunk beds that the city uh, paid to have put in so people had nice places to stay, uh, drawers to keep items during the day, and warm showers that they could take at night. And it's been a wonderful opportunity for some 200-plus people to have a safe place to go. And what's been encouraging to the staff and the board at the center is 31 of the people who have just come in off the street for the night have now moved into the residential program. So these are people who are now getting round-the-clock care, are getting case management and peer recovery coaching. It's a wonderful transition that people have made into the programs that the center is running. The most the surprising thing that we've seen there is the most common length of stay for people is one. Most people who go to Weather Amnesty just need one night. One night to, to get a, a good night's sleep, to figure out their plan for what they're going to do the next day. And that surprised us because we thought that 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 sometimes when we think that when we provide services, that people are going to become dependent upon them. But what we see instead is that people need these things in a crisis, but then they're ready and motivated and equipped and cared for to then move out back on their own. 
Yeah, really is the springboard people need, right? How long is Winter Weather Amnesty open? Uh, we run it for six months, so start November 1st. It'll run through the end of April, and hopefully we're done with the snow by then, right? That sounds great. You have a couple other resources to share with us as well. Another one on the map is uh, Oakland's Crisis Stabilization Center. That's going to be opening at the uh, Epworth Building on the East Bank on Niles Avenue. We have a mobile team of uh, therapists and case managers that go out into the community. If someone's in a mental health crisis, they're available 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., seven days a week if you call Oakland's main number. But they're also tied into the 911 system. So if in an emergency you call and someone just really needs a mental health counselor, Oakland is able to go out there. They're going to be opening, hopefully next month, a place where people can go, where they can get overnight care, where they can get evaluated and have that support. And that's going to be a huge benefit, not only for those in need of housing in our community, but for any one of us. Any one of us could have a mental health crisis and need a place to go. And so having this resource is something that the city has invested in to make sure that this, this happens, and we're looking forward to having this open next month. And then the one other thing uh, is motels for now that I mentioned already. Uh, it's out at the former Knights Inn uh, that the city purchased so that we could uh, be able to upgrade it and improve it. Uh, we've seen 186 people move into housing out of motels for now. This is on the way to the airport. That's correct? right, just past yeah. Bendix. Over three years now, they've seen hundreds of people move in, and 186 people have moved into their own private. Uh, independent living because of that, and 130 of those have stayed remaining housed. That's 70%. And so when we think that sometimes we'll provide something for someone, they're going to become dependent. No, people need support, they need resources, and then they want to move into independence. They want to move into their own autonomy. And Motels for Now is allowing us to do that, and it's been a great success and investment from the city. That's great, Carl. I know it's really important to highlight all of these great resources we have. And going back to Romans 12 being just a chapter that means a lot to you, you know, we rejoice um, with those who rejoice. But it also says we mourn with those who mourn. Tell us a little bit about what does that look like for you to step into some really hard places with people? In the church calendar, uh, there's a day called All Saints Day, the day after Halloween, November 1st, when we remember those who have died the previous year. And starting my years at Broadway, we had to keep a list of all the people uh, that died for various reasons because we wanted to be able to remember them in the coming year on that November 1st. And so each year, about 20 people that we've interacted with in, in the community die from various reasons. For, for many, it's overdoses. There's also various health problems that people have and acts of violence. And so we grieve the fact that we continue to lose people because of the hardships and the conditions uh, that they go through, that they are facing. And not only that, but there's long wait lists at all the shelters, Center for the Homeless, Hope Ministries, Motels for Now. People have to wait and find often in unsafe circumstances for shelter to open up. At the Motels for Now, right now it's a nine-month wait list that people are waiting for to be able to get into that high-access shelter, in part because we don't have enough vouchers or landlords of where we can move people out. We've got people ready to move out of the motels, but there's no place willing to rent them a spot. And so we're backlogged with lots of people waiting to move in to get that support and care. Those people who are waiting, where, where are they? What are they doing? They're in weather amnesty. They're in abandoned buildings. We know some are still trying to tent outside in this cold weather. Some are couch surfing. Some who are working are living week to week in motels, uh, paying exorbitant amounts uh, to be able to have some place to live, especially if they have children. And so we see that there's a lot of different ways people are trying to cope, often in unsafe circumstances that aren't sustainable. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. Carl, I know you and your team, meaning you and the occasional intern that you have, are um, not just gathering stories from a qualitative perspective, but you're actually tracking quantitative data regarding things like sanitation and um, meals and um, I'm throwing you a curveball here, but like, what do you wish that we all knew? What do you want all of us to know about um, the the things that you're tracking, the things that are important to you? Yeah, something that's a reality for for all of us is is addictions. And I know there's many in this room who are dealing with recovery, and one of the things that we try to do is make people aware of the, some of the dangers um, in the drug supply with things like fentanyl and how dangerous it is and to provide Narcan at lots of different locations so that people have an opportunity um, to get this, this drug that can help prevent death from an overdose, can help interrupt uh, the, the chemical imbalance and keep people alive uh, for recovery and new opportunities. Um, and that's something that we're working in partnerships with different agencies to not only make sure that people have that resource to be able to help prevent overdose deaths, but then also awareness about drug supply. And so we have some partnerships right now that are working on testing drug supply so that people are aware of the dangers in drug supply. And even for dealers in a sort of a harm prevention model to be aware if their supply is, is harming people, we're trying to keep people alive. We're trying to give people the resources they, they need so that they have opportunities to pursue recovery and sobriety in the future when they're ready to do that. I've heard um, it suggested before that, you know, we should all have Narcan in sort of our first aid kit. Can you tell us specifically what Narcan is and what it looks like, maybe, and how to, how to access Narcan? Yeah, on this next slide that shows an updated uh, map that we've just put out, you can see the little blue image in the middle with looks like a little spaceship. That's a, a nasal spray. And so Narcan is a Noxalone. It's a, a nasal spray that doesn't require any special training to be able to use, but just a spritz to put in a person's nostril if they're having a seizure. And the great thing about Narcan is it's not harmful. So even if someone isn't overdosing, if they're actually just having a seizure or some other sorts of medical emergency, there's no harm in giving someone Narcan while you wait for a medical professionals to arrive. And so this is something that we've got at lots of locations throughout South Bend that, that I carry for myself and many others do also. It's one of the ways that we're trying to show that care and compassion for people who are struggling with addictions, to know that there's resources out there to help them stay alive and to care for them um, when they're vul most vulnerable. Um, you shared a lot of really great information with us this morning. I know there's so much more, so many more stories, so many more statistics, so many more thoughtful ways you're engaging the community. Um, how can, we, how can we partner with you? Where do we start? Yeah, there's lots of different ways that we can take a next step um, to cling to the good. There's thing about how we, we love other people. Uh, and there's sort of three steps that we can think about what that may be. If you've never really uh, interacted with any of these issues before, maybe the first step is just donating going through your closet and thinking, what are the unused clothes that you don't need any longer, that maybe you could donate to one of those agencies on the map that does clothing to pass along to them. Or maybe when you're, you're shopping, if you have some extra time to get some food items, uh, things like pop-top uh, cans that are easily openable without a can opener, and you want to pick some up to be able to donate to one of the agencies uh, that are on the map that has a food pantry. It's a simple way to simply donate and, and give to help out others that are in need. But maybe you're already doing that. Maybe you already have that as part of one of the practices you do to reach out and help others and show care. And so the next stage I would, might suggest would be to volunteer at one of those agencies. To go in behind the scenes, you can do sorting of, of food in their shelves or clothing on the racks to help out. Or maybe it's serving a meal at one of the places 
In South Bend, three times a day, seven days a week, you can get a meal if you're in need. And so depending on, on your schedule, there's a lot of different places you can go to help out and to be able to get to meet some of the people who are struggling for, for different reasons and, and in different ways. And, and maybe you're already doing that. Maybe you did that this holiday season as an individual or as a family or with a group of other people. And so really the, the next challenge that we're trying to move people on to is building a relationship with someone. It could be a, a one-time meal together, a conversation as you're walking and talking with someone uh, that you meet on, on the sidewalk. But all these different shelters and programs are moving people into independent living, as I mentioned. And the people who do that report, keep reporting back that they often feel lonely, and it's tempting for them to fall into unhealthy behaviors again. And so we've got churches and other groups that are coming alongside people as they move out of shelters into private residences, establishing more independence, who simply need someone to visit them, to be a friend, to help them figure out as a tenant how do they maintain their property, to figure out transportation and not only how to get food, but how to cook it in, in healthy ways. So there's lots of ways that we can build relationships and, and care for people, that we can, can listen to them. And it can feel overwhelming at times when we talk about all the things that go along with being unhoused, with all the challenges. But there's lots of different little ways that we can work together as a community to care for one another when we can take a step to get more involved and to practice that, that love that we're called to do, like the Good Samaritan. Yeah, these are great resources. Carl, uh, as we wrap up, can you just tell us, you know, you've gave, given us a lot of great stories and examples. Um, I've watched or have heard stories of you um, respond to people in a very disarming way. If we are walking in downtown South Bend, say we interact with a woman that you mentioned, we now understand why she might be shouting different things. Um, what's the best way to respond when we're in a situation that may feel hostile or poke at our own um, adverse childhood experiences? Yeah, we can simply start by introducing ourselves, say, hi, I'm Carl, and just be friendly with someone. Making eye contact is often a big thing for someone. I know some people feel comfortable giving cash uh, directly to people who are in need. Uh, my personal view would be to instead donate to one of these agencies here. If you want to give financially, uh, I can get you copy, paper copies of those maps. If you want to have something on hand so you can direct someone to where they, they need to go. Um, and then depending upon your comfort level, listening to someone and just showing respect to someone, hearing their story, even if you have to say no, just to be able to hear someone so they feel seen and heard and valued is an important way that we can be present and be real as we interact more with people in our community. Yeah, that's great. I know from my own personal experience, I would encourage you, if you're considering donations to a particular organization, maybe check to see what they're requesting for donations. Um, when my family first started engaging at Winter um, Weather Amnesty, Winter Amnesty, Winter Weather Amnesty. Weather Amnesty. Okay. Um, we would bring granola bars with us, and then I'd notice those are the things that were left over afterwards, and then I realized, oh, if you haven't had dental care in a really long time, crunchy granola bars are actually pretty painful. Like, they're, you know... Um, they're not palatable. Chewy bars and bananas, yeah, much exactly, better. Exactly, those sorts of things. Um, we're going to invite Jay up to um, pray for Carl and close us out here. But Carl, thank you so much. Can we give Carl a, a big round of applause for being here with us? Thank you. Yeah, I, I also want to say thanks to Beth for hosting such a thoughtful conversation. Uh, yeah, thank you, Beth. Uh, before we take a minute to pray for Carl, and then Carl's going to send us out with a benediction, but before we do that, uh, a couple of notes. Um, one, this is just sort of, I remember this, uh, when Carl took our staff on a walking tour to just see some of the landscape for ourselves, 
and, and then that map that shows all the different resources available. I don't know if you felt this, but I actually was like really moved that this is a really compassionate city that we live in. And there's just a ton of people who are doing incredible work. And we get to be part of that ecosystem, right? We get to sort of add our own energy and life to a pre-existing uh, situation where a lot of people are doing good work. And we get to learn from experts like Carl who can help us make sure that our effort is the best version of our effort, that it actually contributes there, right? Um, so I'm really thankful for that. Um, if today you've heard some of your own story in the stories that Carl shared, uh, I just want to say again how grateful we are that you're part of this family and that you matter to us. And I know there's a lot of different experiences that we walk in the room here with. And so I just hope that um, nothing about today would leave you feeling less a part of this. I hope you would feel more a part of this today for having some of those stories named. Um, if what you heard today um, isn't your story, uh, I hope you just think about how remarkable it is that a, a community of people got together on a Sunday morning to learn and to listen and to try to be better students of the things that other people are experiencing, both in our church and in our city. Uh, that's an act of compassion. And I know you got your own needs and your own agenda and your own questions and your own concerns, and I know your own life has its challenges, and yet I'm really grateful that we would pay attention uh, to other stories that exist in our city so that we can love really well. So thank you for doing that. The next few weeks will be really instructive for us. It's part of how we kind of grow up into the next season of our life as a church, and so I hope that you'll make that a priority, whether you can be here or listen on the podcast. Uh, that being said, um, Carl, we'd love to pray for you, and I asked you in the first gathering, but I'll ask you again, like, how to pray for you and your work and what's happening in the city on this front. I think a lot of those agencies that you uh, saw on those maps, uh, the staff, the volunteers are, are really burned out. It's been exhausting coming through the pandemic. It's been really hard, and we don't see an end in sight. There's still a lot of needs. There's more financial hardships that people are, are facing. So really just to pray for, for compassion and a fresh, a fresh strengthening are for those staffs and agencies, the volunteers who work in a lot of those areas because they're really struggling and facing a lot of hardships right now. Yeah. I'll push it a little further. How can we pray for you? Uh, pray for me in helping people connect. There's a lot of different agencies that you saw there listed, and a lot of those agencies have worked on their own um, and maybe don't have the trust or the connections with each other. And so we're really trying to build a lot of connections where people can share information, share what's not working well so that we can learn from each other and uh, collaborate together so people get the best care that they need when they're in crisis. Awesome. Cool. Uh, if you're able, will you stand your feet? I'll pray for Carl, and then Carl will send us out with a benediction. Uh, loving God, we pray with gratitude uh, for the good work that happens here in the city of South Bend. Uh, every one of us uh, comes into this moment with different needs and experiences, and I know we all hope for a place where we are welcome and safe and where we have what we need, and some experience that more than others. And so while we mourn that, we also are thankful to be a part of the work and called uh, to love well in the city of South Bend. Uh, we heard Carl's words, and we pray for all of those who day in and day out are on the front lines of this work, uh, knowing that it's hard, that it's sometimes harrowing. Um, I know that so many of those people find that their heart is so deeply in it that it makes it even harder because of the burdens they carry. And so we pray for all those who are uh, in this work day to day, that you would strengthen them, that they would know that they're not alone, uh, that there are others like the members of South Bend City who see them and celebrate them, and that also that you are with them, sustaining their work. Uh, we heard Carl's words about the collaboration that we're called to in this city, different agencies and organizations and leaders, and we pray that there would be a heart for that, a desire for that, a vision for that, and then that the tools and skills that are required would come alongside that so that all this goodwill and good work could come together for the benefit of those who need it most. I also just pray for Carl uh, with gratitude for him and his work. I pray that you'd strengthen him and his spirit, 
that every day he'd have a deep sense that you are with him, that your love is with him, and that you are working through him for the good of those who need it, and that South and City Church would be a place um, for the people, and that we'd be a people uh, for the people who love and see our neighbors well. Uh, thank you again for the gift that Carl has given us today in helping us do that. I pray through Christ. And we all said, amen. amen. And Carl, would you give us a benediction? May you see those who care for you. May you see the good happening around us. May you see how you can do good to others in need. May grace and peace be with you. And also with you. Amen. Thank you, Carl.